Welcome everyone. This is Michael Volkoff. Welcome to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, in episode 128. Our episode today is about compliance, automation, and measurement. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. And before we get started, a word from our sponsor, Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's analytics company. Today's podcast episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's analytics company. With information on more than 360 million companies, Bureau Van Dyke is the resource for company data, and they make it simple to compare companies internationally. Their flagship product, Orbis, is used to find, analyze, and compare companies worldwide for better decision-making and increased efficiency. Bureau Van Dyke recently announced its new Compliance Catalyst, which is a data-driven decision engine and risk management platform. Powered by Orbis, new Compliance Catalyst is a game-changer because nothing else combines data, technology, and people power into a single platform. Compliance Catalyst can streamline your KYC, AML, and anti-corruption research and make your client onboarding and customer due diligence process more reliable and efficient. Compliance Catalyst offers several unique advantages, including an integrated platform that combines your data, entity data from Bureau Van Dyke, and flexible due diligence screening, automated and enhanced, instant risk preview, and screening against watch lists and adverse media in seconds, customized dashboard, risk profiles and thresholds, screening and monitoring settings. As part of the Compliance Catalyst platform, several effective modules are provided, including AI-powered adverse media searches and reviews, shareholder power analyses, entity verification and resolution, and integrated enhanced due diligence services. If interested in a demo of the new Compliance Catalyst platform, please contact Bureau Van Dyke at americas at vdinfo.com or call 1-212-797-3550. Well, compliance automation is definitely uh, the current and hottest trend, kind of like uh, auditing, testing. And I thought it would be appropriate to sort of uh, talk about in this new era of automation. Uh, hopefully you are automating your program or in the midst of it. Uh, and uh, to sort of give a reference um, point to looking at how to take the data that's generated and, and what to do with it and some ideas for uh, starting to evaluate your program based upon that data. So. Let's take a step back just to start and talk about, obviously, last year, the biggest development in compliance was the issuance of the guidance from the Justice Department and from OFAC. Um, these, uh, particularly the OFAC guidance, as you know, I've been uh, telling everybody it's robust, it's prescriptive, and imposes some significant new obligations. The framework for 
the DOJ guidance I think is just very helpful to always think about. First, is your program well designed? Second, is the program effectively implemented? And third, does the compliance program actually work in practice? Well, how do we, how do we answer that third question? Uh, and the, third, the way you answer that is through measuring, collecting information, analyzing it, and starting to get relevant metrics of program performance. Um, but also looking at technology and innovation right now, here are some of the tools that we have. We have automated platforms that are available. We, ha we have the access now to data analytics capabilities, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning. Um, these are things that give us new tools uh, for monitoring, testing, and auditing. And ultimately, I think this is going to lead to a fundamental change in compliance from, uh, pro from retrospective, reactive, to proactive. And proactive monitoring of culture, of your rules and compliance with your rules, and risk indicators. You know, for example, a risk indicator of financial transaction anomalies that you'll be able to get access to or aware uh, alerts to on an ongoing basis. So automation generates valuable data. We know that. Uh, and this is, by the way, a great way to start to bring um, visibility into ideas and ways to uh, monitor your program and evaluate your program. So we have, let's, we have automated platforms now for uh, third-party risk management which allows you to do due diligence screening, monitoring, uh, and basically have an auditable trail of all your third-party activity. Um, we also have clearance processes that are now um, automated, such as uh, gifts, meals, and entertainment. And I think we're going to see um, some automated systems or for contract approvals for certain types of contracts for assigning risk to certain contracts and then elevating the levels of re, uh, review and approval. Policy management is automated uh, now, obviously, where there are platforms to work within training. Uh, probably, to me, one of the hottest areas is incident tracking and monitoring. In other words, not just looking at people's emails or you know looking for key buzzwords, but taking your case management system and expanding it not from to from case management, but into incident management, incident tracking, and monitoring, uh, along with your hotline reporting and record keeping. All automated kind of tools to look at. Now, in this new era of automation, it really puts a premium in my mind, on uh, cross functions and breaking down silos. So for example, you have a procurement group, you have a sourcing group within procurement maybe, or, or separate from procurement, depending upon the importance of it, that gets materials uh, that you your company may need. Vendor onboarding, uh, accounts payable, contract management, compliance and legal. Uh, these are just ideas, you know, information technology, finance, uh, we need to break down these silos and bring uh, technology to sort of make it easier to communicate and alert one another across these various functions using certain tools. Um, I've seen people take, for example, sell Salesforce and make it into a very effective tool for certain onboarding uh, functions. So 
This is again another requirement that's needed in the uh, program evaluation and automation process. Remember, and I mentioned earlier, measurement includes not just compliance with your controls and whether or not people are following your controls, but are your controls effective? But another whole separate area of measurement to me is your culture. And I've pushed this idea for a long time. You have to measure, monitor, and remediate your culture uh, as it's um, being implemented and promoted. So, for example, in the DOJ guidance, they ask specific questions which we have to have answers for with regard to our culture. How often and how does the company measure its culture? Does the company seek input from all levels of employees to determine whether they perceive senior and middle management's uh, commitment to compliance? Uh, and, you know, what kind of culture is, is set up in, from middle management? And what steps has the company taken in response to the measurement of the compliance culture? So measuring ethical culture, I've done podcasts and webcasts on this already, but um, their manager and employee surveys, and I'm not talking about the annual or every other year one that uh, HR may do. I'm looking for the ability for compliance to develop um, what I would call sort of flash surveys, flash uh, quick hits that may be focused on a region, a product line, a division, whatever, certain uh, makeups of the company and focus you know, keep your questions to a minimum and make completion easy. Focus groups are another thing, not as not, not easy to measure, but nonetheless provides important anecdotal, anecdotal insights. Um, so proactive confidential interviews also are good too. You know, talk to senior managers, middle managers, and a cross-section of employees. Obviously, you should maintain an exit interview program with HR. These are some best practices. And you want to measure and sample your senior management communications on ethics. Um, but remember here, we're really trying to leverage ultimately middle management as our purveyors and as our leaders of pushing to throughout the company the idea of our commitment to ethics and compliance. A couple of uh, culture questions. I'm going to just read some to you that may be helpful. Um, for these types of surveys. These are quick hit surveys, remember. So I'm saying just keep the questions to a minimum. Uh, and for example, let's say I have concerns about Russia and our operations in Russia. So uh, let's take a survey and get some results and see what happens. So some sample questions. Does the organization provide clear guidance to the employee concerning expected conduct? Would the employee report misconduct committed by another employee? Does the employee's supervisor set a good example of ethical behavior? Does the board and senior management set a good example of ethical behavior? Is the employee ever asked to complete tasks that, conflict, that conflict with company values and expectations? Does the employee work in an environment in which everyone treats each other with respect? Is management aware of unethical and or illegal conduct and report and correct? Is management receptive to employees' opinions about work assignments and ethical conduct? Does management reward and recognize employees for ethical conduct? And does management punish employees fairly for unethical or illegal conduct? These are some sample questions. You, you could use some or all or add to it in whatever way you want to. 
So let's go back now to data and monitoring. Four key steps in the testing and review process is we determine certain categories of information uh, and data that we can, we can collect, formulate measurements, collect, review, and assess. And we just, you may start from, you know, day one, measure it, and then start to develop trends as you collect and uh, compare going on. And that's the evaluate and respond phase, the fourth phase. So we need a new dashboard uh, for watching the information flow, as I say. But here are some ideas on uh, data that we can connect, uh, collect and data that we can monitor and the data that we can ultimately um, you know, use as a way to report to the board, senior management, in terms of trends and starting to track important things, uh, important categories of information. So let's, uh, some ideas are report quarterly on culture. Um, and you may report quarterly, not on a full-scale company culture, survey, but start to take surveys of specific smaller areas or operations and start to develop trends and start to compare, for example, what's the morale like in Russia versus the morale in the UK. Um, these types of things can be helpful in terms of providing insights into where you may need to be monitoring transactions more or even remediating your culture through an affirmative type uh, program. We should report quarterly on compliance with controls. In other words, are people following our controls? Do we have people who are not following our controls? So for example, do we have vendors who are onboarded without going through the due diligence process? We should always monitor employee concerns and incident management, and we look at the number and types of reported concerns. Slice and dice the information is what I always say into looking at geographies, looking at types of concerns, where map them against our global operations, let's say. Uh, there's so much information that can be looked at. And if you you know keep a pretty lengthy list or of types of reported concerns, it'll give you great insight into seeing issues as they bubble up. I would always report on the internal investigation function, number and types of code of conduct violations and legal violations, um, how many allegations, how many are substantiated, how many, uh, and then again, looking at uh, where these are occurring in product lines, across product lines, in uh, certain regions, uh, and, and what are, are there any trend, train, uh, trends in that. We also want to train and test our middle managers and employees. So training participation is great, but it doesn't mean anything unless we test to make sure that people have gotten the message. Do they un Is the message understood and test them with regard uh, to that? We also should report on ongoing compliance monitoring. Uh, so for example, we may have a high risk monitoring program for our third parties. Um, I would like to see a regular reporting on are we seeing issues coming up with regard to that collecting uh, data from uh, reporting on compliance uh, monitoring activities. How many notices are we receiving? Um, how many uh, monitoring efforts or you know, meetings are we having? And, and transaction testing, financial reviews, uh, and remediation status. Now, we always should be uh, updating our risk profile, and as things change, um, let's say we acquire a company, our risk profile's got to change. 
but we also should be monitoring the business uh, through, let's say, quarterly risk assessment surveys uh, as to uh, perception of risk and changes in the risk profile and anything that may be noticed by uh, managers as well there. We also um, will manage our policies and a policy management function and collect data on that. How many policy management meetings have we had? Are we getting new policies out? Are we complying with our uh, timetable for review and release of updated policies? Now, let's dig into the idea a little bit more of control-based data, in other words, measurement. Uh, are people complying with our controls? We have a set of controls, and in doing that, we, we re should carefully review our policies and our procedures to develop control measurements. In other words, take a policy out and mark through it where there are certain requirements that have to occur to comply with the policy. Let's say, for example, you had a requirement that all high-risk third-party engagements have to be reviewed by a due diligence committee. Well, we get the records from the due diligence committee make and then try to match it up to make sure that they conduct a review, but also are they getting, are people complying with the control in that are they seeing all the high-risk um, vendors or suppliers or third parties who um, need to be reviewed by that committee. So are people complying with that control? Let's say we find, uh, you know, five to ten high-risk third parties that did not go through that process. So to me, that's a question of are people complying with the control itself? So you need to look through your policies and in terms of um, which controls to measure, again, apply risk ranking to prioritize measurement of controls. So for example, I let's say we have a specific control for tenders in foreign countries. Well, that would probably be a higher risk uh, control to review uh, in terms of compliance versus your gifts, meals, and entertainment in Canada, um, you know, your expenditures there. Um, so we also want to make sure that we are risk prioritizing our um, uh, our, our control-based data reviews. So then we break down each of the controls to critical tasks, like I said, and then measure the overall compliance rates. So for example, I mentioned uh, third-party due diligence, vendor onboarding, but how about take our contract to invoice payment process, which is basically um, a very significant control because the SEC is focused on that for every public company and that to me is one that is a high priority to make sure that whatever requirements we have people are following it uh, from the contract to the invoice to the payment process and the approval of the invoice and the payment uh, ultimately made. Uh, gifts, meals and entertainment, sanction screening is another great one to start to measure making sure that all our customers and relevant counterparties are being uh, screened for sanctions compliance, rebates and discounts, and obviously I mentioned tender, tender and bid procedures. The value of uh, measuring your compliance program the way that I'm talking about, um, and we could get one advantage, obviously, is quantitative results. We can utilize testing rubric over time, consistency, objectivity, um, and we could use as a measuring stick, and it's a way to quantify an area that is not often data-driven. Now, I mentioned incident management and data, and I'm a big 
proponent of this. Uh, and I'm seeing more companies sort of expanding their case management system to incident data. And it requires that HR, for example, as they learn certain things, if somebody walks into HR, they have to create an incident report, which is kept in the system with regard to that person. Um, it may be that there are incidents that occur that are not necessarily requiring uh, an internal investigation, uh, either by HR or by compliance. So. Uh, this is a great area for data collection. Um, so you're, you're basically expanding the concept of behavior data beyond the idea of a potential um, violation of a code of conduct or of the law. So that's why it's beyond investigations. But it demonstrates a way to manage your uh, commitment to culture. Um, it also, you have to encourage sort of reporting employee concerns for this to work. In other words, you have to get the message out that you want to hear from people. Um, obviously, you have to protect any whistleblowers. And then you have to timely respond to any concerns that come in. Uh, and we want to make sure that there's an, a, a robust incident uh, management system within the company and sharing of data across the line. HR is going to be a big receptor of this, as are supervisors. Uh, in middle management, they're going to learn a lot about this, and these are their their key cooperation is really important to this um, in terms of uh, broadening the reporting because it requires additional time to put into a database system incidents. So we have to try to make it as easy as we can. Look, hotline and incident data are really important. Uh, the Justice Department, basically, in the guidance. And please double check this because it's an important uh, requirement. They basically mandated that the chief compliance officer has to have access to all incident reports. In other words, no longer can there be a silo or a division between the compliance function and HR. I constantly hear about difficulties that compliance people have in getting access to HR data. And what they're uh, mandating, DOJ, is that the chief compliance officer has access to all incident data. Uh, it doesn't mean that they control it or the use of it or, you know, handling the, the responses to the incident, but they need to have access to all the data. So that's an important thing to track, and it's an important thing to then slice and dice, as I said, by geography, brands, products, services, types of reports, uh, and 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 categories. I mentioned automating gifts, meals, and entertainment. And to me, this is like if we're not doing this, you know, if we're doing paper and emails, it's just too slow a process and harder to, to measure. Automation makes it easy. And there are products out there now that automate the gifts, meals, and entertainment function. And vendors I know are working on new uh, approaches here because you can implement rules uh, that flag abnormalities, set up approval requirements, facilitate the process to make it easier so that sort of the, uh, the easy ones, the easy requests for approval or for reimbursement are handled routinely without little uh, time requirements from managers. And this way, you also collect more data, and then it allows you to, to review patterns, identify red flags, and gives you a wealth of data to improve your insight into these types of expenditures, which could be a real risk. And I think the last uh, sort of area I wanted to talk about are financial transactions. 
and uh, how do you get at transaction analysis and measuring and tra uh, transaction uh, anomalies. Remember that our focus here first is immaterial transactions. These are ones that auditors are not going to pick up because they're immaterial. They're not in above the materiality threshold that auditors will look at. So we need to have testing techniques for searching for anomalies in high-risk accounts. The strategy is to use sampling and to risk rank financial operations by region, country, or product or service, identify high-risk accounts in these categories, and then conduct a sampling or implement a sampling protocol. These uh, forensic analytic tools can sometimes be done through data analytics programs. Uh, and uh, it, often picking the suspect accounts is going to depend upon the label that's put on trial balance accounts uh, in various operations. So, uh, and it's really hard to do this if the transactions are outside of your ERP system and on spreadsheets, uh, but hopefully your system is such that, let's say, your country operations are already on the ERP system so they don't just do their uh, financial reporting on spreadsheets and then report it up for consolidation. So you want to look at when you're doing the sampling focus, was there adequate documentation? Are there duplicate transactions, unusual transactions? Uh, is there proper justification? You compare your vendor data, data by the way, this is an easy trick that a lot of people use with uh, employees, agents, or distributors. Uh, or employees and agents um, data to see if there's any crossover with employees within your company uh, and that's a quick way to find a conflict of interest or even sometimes a financial uh, theft, embezzlement or bribery scheme and then you always look at your surrounding emails uh, as well. So we're looking for transactions outside the norm we're, uh, we're avoiding reliance on the ERP control system and, depend, and, and what we do is develop independent data analysis so that we examine uh, sampled individual transactional details. And we need to combine uh, data in ways that's not commonly uh, available in you know, more general purpose software from standard ERP system reports. Every ERP system has certain standard uh, tests that they use, but they're not, uh, what I've seen is they need to be broadened for the types of risks that may uh, occur with uh, your situation. And I always look in this area, uh, P cards, you know, corporate credit cards, procure to pay processes, third party distribution, like giving them uh, uh, marketing fund allowances, other things like that where you want to make sure that uh, these uh, transactions are authorized, appropriate. Marketing funds are often you know, subject to abuse, so you look for that. And always look at your gifts and hospitality or uh, charitable contributions, things like that. So remember, um, we're looking at ways here to generate data, which is available. There's lots of data sources. Collect it, measure it. Start with a baseline, develop a trend analysis, and then when you see certain trends and it requires intervention, we intervene and then we often remediate. Data, 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 as they say. It's, it's really replacing uh, document, 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 because now it's becoming the focus of all compliance programs.
Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective uh, ethics and compliance program design and implementation strategy. You can learn more about our services at our website, www.volkofflaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and, of course, our podcast series. And you can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Let us know how we can help you achieve your goals. Thank you.